This podcast was recorded before the global pandemic. While the world looks a lot different today, we believe this content remains valuable for helping organizations move forward and emerge stronger. Deploying a brand new HR tool across 72 countries is no small task, but an even bigger task may be what comes next, continuing to make it work after the initial buzz from the deployment has subsided. I'm Julie Jars, and on today's Workday podcast, we're speaking to Tina Hutchinson, Director of Workday Operational Excellence at Avon. She'll discuss how she gets the very best from Avon's deployment, how to keep processes and structures agile, and how the Workday community can be a sounding board to drive continuous innovation. Welcome, Tina. Thank you, Julie. So let's start it off. For anyone who may not have heard of Avon, and there can't be that many of them out there, can you please give us an overview of the company, its size, and what you do? Of course, yes. And no, there can't be very many, absolutely. Avon has brand recognition of over 90% globally, but simply put, it's the world's number one direct beauty selling company. We operate in 55 countries. We have just under 20,000 permanent employees and amazing 6 million sales representatives across the world. And they're the ones that I'm sure everybody has heard of as our Avon ladies. We've got some Avon gentlemen as well. (laughs) (laughs) So fun fact, we sell every second we sell four lipsticks in the world, um, which just is mind blowing if you think about it. It's also the world's largest corporate supporter of women's causes, especially breast cancer and domestic violence, and has donated over one billion pounds to those causes to date, which is, of course, something we're all very, very proud of. Yeah, that's something that's important to us at Workday, too. That's great. And so I know you're very experienced in leading Workday deployments. Can you tell us about how your career has developed and how your experience with Workday has grown? Sure, yeah. So I studied computer science in Germany initially, so a very traditional entry to IT. And when I first came to the UK about 16 years ago, I worked as an IS business analyst for Diageo, the world's biggest drinks company, (laughs) alcoholic drinks company in the world. And I was put on the SAP HR global deployment at the time. I didn't know anything about HR, so that was sort of my entry into HR. I was then very fortunate to be given the opportunity to join the global lean team at Diageo. And then I got fully trained and certified in lean process improvements. So sort of a step away from from the IT world. That then a few years on led me to head up the continuous improvement team in HR because it gave them that combination of HR and IT and processes. And then in 2011, Diageo decided to implement Workday. And of course, there wasn't going to be much continuous improvement while you roll out work then and go through a big HR transformation. So my entire team at the time became the core project team. I agreed a little bit puzzled because I'd been doing SAP for so long to be the global deployment lead for Workday. And then, yeah, we did that for three years. The initial scope was pretty much everything that HCM has to offer. So we did join a mover lever and we did talent and performance and advanced comp and absence and benefits and self-service all, all of at it. the same time <laughs> so if, we, if we pay for it we must have it so we did that 72 countries as you say 23 languages i think for three years which was an amazing journey absolutely amazing and then when that was finished that was handed off into bau of course and i became a global is business partner And HR was one of my functions that I looked after, but I had others as well. And I thought I would pursue my career in that direction. 
But then in 2017, Diage realized Workday was no longer the shiny new tool and they wanted to improve it. They wanted to build on it, extend it. They had to do a lot of productivity initiatives at the time as well. So another HR transformation was born. <laughs> so I went back to HR and I helped them shape it and plan it and kick it off for about six months. And then I did feel that it was at a point where I could hand it over to someone and it was probably time for me to move on for as your well. your next challenge. <laughs> so that's when Avon asked me to join their team because they felt that they were in a similar place. They needed workday transformation. They needed HR transformation. They had a couple of people around who could do some basic config, but they didn't really have a, a, a plan and right. a vision. So I joined Avon, I built up the team there, and I'm now the Director of Workday Operational Excellence. <laughs> and that's how I got there. <laughs> so, Tina, can you talk us through your role and what an average day looks like for someone in charge of Workday Operational Excellence? And, and that is, if there, if there could possibly be an average day. There is, actually, surprisingly. Okay. So I have a, as I said, I have a team of seven people now. They're very talented and very smart people, so I'm very lucky in that respect. As far as Workday is concerned, we do pretty much everything across the board. So we do BAU support, we do fixes, we do big projects, small projects, change requests, user experience, improvements. And we also look after HR service delivery for Avon globally. So we partner with our HR community, our HR admins, business partners, and to support those as well. At any one point in time, we probably have about 20 or 25 activities going. And we don't have a PMO. So a lot of my days spend um, tracking those projects, making sure they're on track. If they're not on track, helping them get back on track. So there's a lot of conversations around that. Lots of problem solving, lots of decision making. And that's very much a, a regular thing. I own the Workday Roadmap as well, of course. So I have to stay on top of what Workday is doing, what's coming, what's new, what's challenging. I network a lot with other clients. I stay very much in touch with that and I keep our stakeholders happy. So I speak to process owners about solutions to the problems or possible improvements that we could do. So it's very, it's very much collaborative and engaging every day. So let's back up for a second because I think <laughs> where to start is probably something of interest to a lot of people. How do you start to plan for a deployment across 72 countries or even a, a smaller scale deployment? You know, what are the key considerations for you? It, it's the million dollar question, right? And there might not be a, a, a good or a, you know, a final answer, but I feel that as long as you've got the basics, so somebody's giving you some money and somebody's giving you some people, <laughs> there's, in my mind, there's probably three things that will set you up for success. And unfortunately, it's the three things that for some reason people often miss. So the first one for me is setting up really thought through governance. And I don't mean a nice triangle pyramid on a PowerPoint slide, because that's what people do. And then they go, tick, I've got my governance. What I mean is governance that is execution focused and really fit for the very project that you're trying to run because it needs to enable you to every single day make sure you don't fall behind. If you fall behind on a beast like that, you don't have to think you can catch up, basically. So it's governance has to work. The second one is defining your scope really well 
it's not just about it's 55 countries and it's 20 languages it's a lot more than that you need to define your scope well and then do a really good change impact assessment a mistake i see often made is is somewhere somebody says oh we should have a design principle that everybody should stick to the global process and that's great but then they shortcut that and think they don't need to look at all the local countries and what they're doing because they should adhere to the global process. Now, that's a massive trap, because if you don't figure out what they're doing today and how they will get to the global process, you will really struggle when you need to embed the solution. So I think that's my second one. And the third one, I really like entry criteria. So I create sort of a plan on a page that's very simple, that helps you manage all the different interdependencies. And every phase has entry criteria and exit criteria. And then you can base your project plan on those entry and exit criteria. It gives you a lot of safety to the framework. It must also be about getting the right people on board. So how do you build a stakeholder awareness and ensure that the right people are involved in driving Mm, the project? Yeah, I mean, yes, it's absolutely important. Um, Everything everything works or doesn't work with people or because of people, right? So I think... Again, it's not that difficult. Nobody would disagree, I think, with the fact that you need a change lead or a change manager. But what I see all the time is there's a role of a change manager defined, but it's not filled until halfway or three quarters through the project because people feel, well, that's money we can save because there's no change to manage yet. But I truly believe that's a critical role in the project that needs to be filled at the very beginning and then sort of to my earlier point about the countries, you kind of need a change lead per country as well, who knows the local customs and culture and people. And then between that person and the country leads, you already have the foundation of your network. And that almost organically builds throughout the project lifecycle to involve all the right people. It's very difficult if halfway through you you say to one person, can you please know? manage the change right it's sort of it needs to grow because people either want to be involved and therefore that happens or people don't want to be involved and therefore you pick up on those and you also need support from the top right across the various deployments you've you've worked on who's the real driving force is it the ceo or do you see cfos and the hr function taking the lead on these transformative projects so I think it it varies, of course, and I think it also is in the process of changing, possibly, with HR being recognized much more as a strategic partner. In my experience, it was always the CHRO because of productivity targets, together with the CIO because of the the sort of overall technology spend. And as long as those two partner, it always worked. I think the danger in that is that it can be run in isolation to the business strategies, which sort of is is still a gap out there. But I think in terms of work, the deployment and delivery, it's it's usually driven by HR and by IT. So I can imagine there might be some trepidation from certain parts of the business when you take on a transformation project like this. How do you harness that fear and show stakeholders that this is the path that the business really needs to take? I think in some ways it's just being honest about what you do 
There is a lot of fear out there that it won't be embedded, that there will be change resistance. But the fact is people never like the system that they're on. But people also don't like changing system, right? So that's that's where you start from. So I think the very best thing you can do to build trust to start with is have a really thorough migration plan because everybody has been burned in the past at some point by some IT change going wrong, right? And they'll be a bit cynical about that. The second thing I think is to take their feedback on board and really listen and have a response rather than going, yeah, we hear you, but we're doing this thing anyway. So it's really just personalizing the change management and I think lastly, you just need a really solid business case, which again sounds very simple, sure. but actually the amount of deployments I've seen where, you know, nine months down the line, they go, oh, we should really finish the business case. That doesn't help your case, right? So I think people will then hardly ever argue with money. With what you're doing, <laughs> So there's also a lot of talk about agility these days in the business world, but how do you come to grips with ensuring processes are flexible and the structure of the organization remains fluid? That has to be a challenge given the the global scale of Avon's business. Yes, and I'm very familiar with that problem. Simply put, I think the, the simpler your processes, of course, the easier you can change them. But the more likely it is that you don't have to change them. If that makes sense, because if they're simple and agile, then you you can change your business and you don't have to change your processes. When I first joined Avon, one of my main challenges was the huge complexity that was built into the processes to the point where the validation rules were so complicated that we didn't know what they were doing or why they were there. And we didn't know if we could change them because we would break something. Some smart person once said the best solution is the simplest solution. So I think you just need to bear that in mind and go back to very simple processes. So in addition to process, skills are important. I'm curious if you think businesses have the skills they need to be successful with digital, or is there a gap in there that needs to be filled? And if so, is that reskilling or is it through academia that the gap is going to be filled? I think businesses will be fine, personally speaking. I hear a lot of talk about all of the new technologies, but in real life, things move a lot more slowly. And I believe talent will organically grow and learn and adapt to new technologies. So I think a lot of companies do look at things like skills versus career path, and that is the way, the right way to go, and that is how you grow skills. But I don't think there's a necessarily a, a very scary gap, if that makes sense. Yep. You also have some insight as the Workday UK user group chair. How helpful is that in understanding the capabilities and also the development areas of the Workday product? <laughs> very useful. It's interesting, actually, because about 60% of all user group attendees are first-time attendees which I found amazing at the beginning because the numbers are huge. There's like one or 200 people in the room. So in some ways you go over the same things quite a lot. We do, we cover best practices in position management once a year probably because there's so many new people. But we also, at the end of each day, we run what we call a customer solutioning workshop where anybody can ask any question and anybody can answer any question. And that is really valuable in learning tips and tricks from others 
and figuring out what work they maybe needs to step up a little bit and work they has provided us as well with a channel to then say actually here's here's what's come out of this discussion and take it away and come back to us so it's it's a really good good conversation in the room if you could give any advice to other business leaders starting out on their workday deployment what would that be so it's probably not something we've talked about but it's data 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 (laughs) And then right, followed by testing, 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 testing. It's data and testing, in my experience, are always the two things that take longer, don't work as expected, and and derail the project, need more people, etc. So I would say those two things during deployment. And then also after the deployment, to not underestimate the support team. They will need to keep the system alive and tidy and value-add. To not to sort of say, you know, deep breath, we're done and, and worked is amazing and worked as a cloud system and worked it will just run itself. Now you, you do need to be realistic about your support team and, and the structure of that and really think that through. Data and testing. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today on the Workday Podcast to share your insights, Tina. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast. I'm Julie Jars and thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.